perhaps no other literary figure has transformed the American religious landscape in recent history as much as C.S. Lewis. Even before the international publication and success of his Narnia Chronicles or Mere Christianity, Lewis was already being read across the pond in America. But who exactly was reading his work and how was he received? Well, that's a quote from the publicity for a new book by my very special guest on the show today, and I'm honoured to have him with us. Welcome to the God Story Podcast. I'm Brent Siddle. The very special guest here to discuss Lewis and America is historian Mark Knoll, who's just published a new book with IVP America in the Hanson Lectureship Series called C.S. Lewis in America, Reading and Reception, 1935-1947. to uh, and we should say the book also has contributions by Karen Johnson, Kirk Farney, who was a wonderful guest on the show, I think last year it was, and uh, Amy Black. Now, Mark is Emeritus Professor of History at Wheaton College and the University of Notre Dame. He's the author of many books, including one of my absolute favourites, The Scandal of the Evangelical Mind. And Mark joins us now on the show. Mark, hi, welcome. Well, thank you for having me. It's a, it's a real treat to be with you. Well, uh, the treat is mine, so having read your work for so many years, it's delightful to be able to actually to meet you and see you and ask you lots of questions about C.S. Lewis. Now, why do you focus on the dates 1935 to 1947? What's significant about Lewis's impact on the States during those years? As you mentioned in the introduction, there's a nice um, uh, set of years bookended by the first review of Lewis's books in the United States, which took place in December of 1935. And then in September 1947, Lewis appeared on the cover of Time magazine, which was an honor uh, bestowed not uh, widely and, and not too often on uh, literary figures. And this uh, period of time comes before, as you noted, the phenomenal popularity of the Narnia tales and the even more phenomenal popularity of mere Christianity. During the period I look at, there were uh, uh, Lewis's uh, radio broadcasts were brought out in small pamphlets, and these pamphlets were later uh, uh, gathered together as mere Christianity. But and they were they were well received, but not with the overwhelming popularity of what comes later. Yeah, I wonder who read Lewis in America, say from uh, prior to the publication of Screwtape, which was 1943, wasn't it? Who read Lewis in America, say from 1935 to 1942, then? Did anybody read in Lewis in America in those years? In these early years, it's almost exclusively academics who were alert to the uh, things that Lewis was publishing as himself, a young literary scholar at uh, Oxford University. L Lewis's uh, first academic book, The Allegory of Love, made the argument that early modern uh, romantic poetry, like Edmund Spencer's Fairy Queen, actually brought together a medieval tradition of courtly love and a Christian understanding of love within marriage. This work was not universally praised in America, but it received very, very, uh, some, the majority of reviews, and there, there were a number, not huge numbers, maybe eight or 10 reviews. The majority said, well, Lewis has got this exactly right. A, little, a couple of years later, uh, Lewis published a book on uh, Paradise Lost, preface to Paradise Lost, the argument was, you can say a lot of things about Paradise Lost, but if you do not feature the theology of John Milton, you miss the uh, the burden of the work. That, too, is received positively. Again, not universally, not too many people, but, but uh, Lewis was on the landscape of academics. He was a person who was already noted as having a good grasp of scholarship and a lively way of presenting things. 
And those would be the qualities that once the broader public found in screw tape letters and then some of the other works would, would bring him uh, astounding popularity. But it really, mm -hmm. there really is a big, a big transition that comes with the publication of the screw tape letters in, and I'm looking at my notes here, early uh, 1943, a year after the book appeared in Britain. Yes, leads me nicely into the next question. What impact did the American publication of the screw tape letters have on Lewis's readership in the States? The book is phenomenally popular. It's reviewed in uh, the New York Times, uh, many, many, Los Angeles Times, many, many other newspapers. And it began a process of uh, recognition for Lewis that slipped, that moved out from the uh, the, the press, who, who thought just that this was very clever and, and, and very uh, sharp way of presenting the Christian faith, to a kind of mid-level uh, publication with the literary magazines, uh, eventually uh, academic quarterlies, now looking at Lewis not so much as an academic, but as a popular uh, Christian uh, uh, spokesman. And we, we have to remember uh, 1942, 1943, the depths of, of uh, World War II, Lewis does not address the war or the politics of the war so much as he does address in, in screw tape letters, as those who know have read it, he addresses conditions in times of stress in, in wartime. And, and um, the, re the response is just uh, uh, uniformly positive with, as I note in the book, less positive attention, less attention in general amongst evangelical and fundamentalist Protestants who have, of course, been the groups in the recent decades that are just uh, gaga over Lewis and, and can't get enough of him. Yes, I noted that with great interest uh, in, in the book, and I'm going to come on and ask you about that because that's one of the most interesting, for me, uh, parts of the book. And um, Before we get into the different denominational responses to Lewis and, and the media response and so forth, can I just ask you how many books and what sort of books by Lewis were actually published in the States between uh, those dates of 1935 and 1947? There are quite a few, aren't there? 17 of them, uh, and, and uh, the, the academic books were not published in the U.S. as such, but because most of them came from Oxford University Press, the New York office of Oxford University Press made them available in, in uh, the United States. Lewis's Pilgrim's Regress, the first one uh, available in the U.S., was actually brought out by the Catholic publisher, Sheet and Ward, but then after the, the screw tape letters, Macmillan had the rights, and, and it's Macmillan that did the, what, are, what I guess now are called the Ransom Trilogy. I grew up calling them the Space Trilogy books. The, uh, the booklets that came from Lewis's uh, radio broadcast, and then several of, of his works, which might call Christian Exposition, The Problem of Pain, Miracles. So 17 in total, ranging from high scholarship to uh, fantasy, to uh, pretty straightforward Christian apologetics. Yes. Now, in what ways were Roman Catholics? Can we deal with the Roman Catholic response um, first, if we may? In what ways were Roman Catholics Lewis's first and most appreciative readers in the States? They certainly were, and that, that's not uh, uh, unknown. People have, have noticed that before, but I, I found in reading uh, the Catholic criticism that there was an appreciation for what we could, we could consider a kind of threefold strengths and Lewis. One, one was his scholarship. And the, 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 the educated Catholic response to Lewis was actually more alert to scholarship than, than even the scholars had been before the popularity of the, the screw tape letter. So it's scholarship. And then uh, there is uh, what might be surprising. 
an appreciation for Lewis's mere Christianity. In other words, his, his intention not to stress the uh, particulars of any one Christian tradition, but to focus upon the main Christian teachings about sinfulness, the need for Christ, the work of Christ in, in bringing salvation. And then, of course, what everyone, e even the people who turn out not to like Lewis a whole lot, they, they appreciated his creativity. But Catholic uh, authors, uh, singularly, in these early years of U.S. reading of the popular C.S. Lewis works, had a deep appreciation. The book that you mentioned uh, coming out from InterVarsity Press, actually, he was able to include as a, an appendix a two-part article uh, published about Lewis in, in uh, the spring, early summer of 1944 by a man named Charles Brady, was an English professor at Canisius College in Buffalo, New York, a Jesuit institution. It, it's uh, uh, two articles focusing upon Lewis's popularity. No one has come along like him since G.K. Chesterton, Brady said, but with a, with a real insightful attention to how the Milton scholarship, the scholarship on Edmund Spencer fed into the phenomenally popular screw tape letters and then by that time, they had uh, some of the books in, in the, the Ransom uh, uh, trilogy. Catholics would also, and this, this comes just a little bit later, but, but is there right from the start. Catholics have a great appreciation for Lewis's arguments that he presents a couple different ways in a couple different books. Lewis's argument that humankind, wherever people are found, have an instinctive understanding that some things are right and some things are wrong. and uh, this, this is a, uh, a, a way of approaching Christian apologetics that, that uh, lay Catholics appreciate, that a series of priests appreciate, and then some, some uh, philosopher Catholics eventually. It has a, a, a resonance with the traditional Catholic emphasis upon natural law given as a grace by God to everyone, which does need to be cultivated, it needs to be redeemed, but is there present. So the, the combination of scholarship, creativity, and this uh, emphasis by Lewis on the universality of objective moral judgments seem to uh, uh, meet and, and grab Catholic uh, uh, commentators, Catholic critics much more strongly and much more broadly than it did the Protestants who also like Lewis, but there's just nothing like the kind of Brady articles and then a couple others that, that uh, in the American. Lewis actually writes to Charles Brady after Brady sent him his article and said, you are the first critic to write about my work as a whole. And actually there really aren't very many others, maybe one other person, maybe one or two other Catholics, one other Protestant later, until we get to the big boom of, of, of Lewis scholarship, of course, in the 1950s and following. Uh, yeah, did Catholic writers express much serious theological objection to Lewis? There was some, uh, a, a, a really interesting uh, a British uh, migrant, Anne Fremantle, uh, said, well, she, she liked Lewis. She thought he was, he was great, but he undervalued the, the, the importance of the church. This was actually a, a criticism that several others made, usually, however, in the context of saying, Lewis is wonderful, but he should place more emphasis upon, upon the church. There is one strand of academic, scholastic, we could call it, uh, Catholic criticism that is nervous not so much about Lewis as about the rapturous reception of Lewis. 
And that nervousness comes from a, 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 a item in the Catholic canon law, which says works by non-Catholics should be vetted by Catholic authorities before they are used by the Catholic faithful. And the critic who made, actually a Jesuit, another Jesuit priest who made this uh, complaint said, look, people are going uh, crazy over C.S. Lewis, but who's approved of C.S. Lewis? So there is there is a consciousness of, of Catholic enthusiasm for Lewis doing an end, round, end run around what was Catholic canon law requiring some kind of approval if you're going to get excited about non-Catholics. Overwhelmingly, though, however, and this I think is the point that uh, I knew about it sort of, but I was just struck in, in going through these reviews. It's something like, overwhelmingly, the Catholic response is positive and insightful. Yes, indeed. And um, we're dealing with a very different world in the 1930s and 40s, and you can see it by, uh, for me personally, by Lewis's reception in, in the mainstream media which fascinated me and surprised me to some extent. What was Lewis's reception in secular and mainstream media during this time? Lewis is a, a, a very, very well received. Uh, I, I was struck uh, by finding a, a warm uh, review of Lewis's book, The Great Divorce by the poet W.H. Auden, who had, I think just the year before published his uh, lengthy work, The Age of Anxiety, which gives a... Uh, uh, gave a name to the whole era. Auden, in reviewing The Great Divorce, said, well, Lewis probably should not have uh, used some kind of insect as, as uh, to mean, uh, to, to, to stand for evil. And he, he, he probably needed to clean up a few things that he had, but in general, this is a, this is a really great work and you should read it. So, so here's Auden, the, 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 the famous poet, uh, being enthusiastic. Sat the Saturday Review of Literature, which is edit, edited by uh, someone without particular religious uh, credentials, uh, contains uh, several very positive reviews. And Lewis is actually featured on the cover of the Saturday Review of Literature, I think in 1943 or 1944, uh, with, along with a review of one of his uh, Ransom Space Trilogy books. So there, there's re real enthusiasm. Now, is it universal? Not quite. Uh, a very interesting review was written by Alistair Cook, a young man at the time <laughs> who would eventually become famous for uh, doing his weekly letter from America back to uh, Britain and then in the United States, very, become very, even more famous for being the host of the uh, public broadcasting services masterpiece theater presentation. Uh, Cook didn't have anything at all good to say about uh, Lewis. He, he thought he was a prude. He thought he was a mountebank. He thought he was a phony. Uh, and and he just he actually went on for quite some time, not really analyzing Lewis, but just saying this this guy's just 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 no good. It was with one other exception in, in an obscure journal, the only real put down found in the general media, which again occasional minor criticism, but but just overwhelming enthusiasm, which I think indicates how different, as you as you suggested, indicates how different the mainstream American media were in those wartime years to mm. what they have become since then. Oh, for sure. Um, I wonder what the, po the positive response to Lewis's popular writing by the media demonstrates about American popular culture at that time, because this is a fascinating theme in your book, isn't it? It does seem to indicate that uh, although serious, widespread, and deep Christian faith had definitely begun to recede that the United States was still, in, in some ways, a, a Christian culture. 
the uh, Second World War background is is significant. Um, some of the people like W.H. Uh, Arden, who expressed a real interest in, in uh, Lewis, were themselves asking, well, if, if the f- supposedly free West is standing up against Hitler, what, what are the deep values that ground that stance against the, the, the fascist? And although uh, Christianity was not the only resource, there were, there were a number of uh, people, the, the Catholic thinker Jacques Maritain, Auden, uh, T.S. Eliot in, in Britain and others who were making the, the uh, claim that the values that are, that are being defended, freedom, absence of coercion, treatment of people respectively, were, were grounded in the Christian faith. This is not, not a universally accepted argument, but at that time of great stress to have a clear Christian voice, parenthesis, who was not addressing politics directly, but to have a clear Christian voice providing, as it were, a substance for what was valued most in Western civilization received a lot of positive attention. Mm. You mentioned Time magazine. What was Time magazine's response to Lewis? And what does it tell us again about America's mainstream secular culture in the 40s? Time magazine, edited by Henry Lewis, was, um, so to speak, the Bible of American popular politics. Uh, people who appeared on the, the cover of Time magazine were, were the, the noted uh, political actors uh, during the war, military leaders, in some cases figures of the arts. Henry Luce himself was, was uh, connected to a missionary family in, in China. His own faith is kind of ambiguous. There are several uh, reviews of Lewis's books before he appears on the cover in 1947. They're, they're kind of cheeky and, and quick and, and frothy in, a, in the Time magazine style, but, but generally quite, quite appreciative. And then with the cover in 1947, there is a, 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 a long article that's somewhat more serious, somewhat more sober. It's, it's not as extensive or as deep as what the Catholics are providing, but it's a, a good, fair coverage. The interest, the footnote that I didn't know about at all until uh, I was able to get into the research here. The footnote is that Henry Luce is married to Claire Booth Luce, who, in the sometime around the end of the war, has a conversion to Catholicism, and she takes the initiative to to, to uh, secure the rights to do a, either a play or something in Hollywood as a movie to the Screw Tape Letters. And so just about the time that uh, Henry Luce features Lewis on the Time magazine cover, his wife, Claire Booth Luce, is negotiating to have Lewis's screw tape letters either brought to the stage or probably, probably actually made into a movie. Nothing comes of that, but it is indicative of people who were uh, movers and shakers in the determination of American society having a real, not just an interest, but a fondness for what Lewis was trying to say. Mm. It would have been interesting to see how Hollywood would have treated the screw tape in 1947. Absolutely fascinating. Could have turned it into a film noir. Uh, what, what was the um, mainline Protestant, and this is, this is absolutely fascinating, this, what was the mainline Protestant and evangelical response to Lewis during, this, uh, during the 30s and 40s? Lewis's uh, popular works are reviewed quite favorably by denominational, uh, mainstream denominational, Presbyterian, Lutheran, Disciples of Christ, uh, the Southern Baptists, who were at that time maybe as close to the main line as, as, in their seminaries as to evangelical, uh, 
Interestingly enough, in light of the later enthusiasm amongst evangelical Protestants for Lewis, there is hesitation. Uh, Moody Monthly, the, 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 the periodical from the Institute founded by D.L. Moody in Chicago, the uh, magazine of the National Association of Evangelicals, Sunday School Times, these, these kind of uh, bulwarks of uh, popular evangelical Protestantism, did begin to notice Lewis a little bit after the mainstream Protestant and quite a bit after the Catholics and the, and the secular marketplace, but with caution. The first uh, uh, reviews of, of uh, Lewis in, in these magazines would, would say, would usually something like, here is a very creative Englishman who seems to be saying positive things about the Christian faith. But then there would sometimes be a longer paragraph, but we're kind of, we're nervous about his, uh, uh, his, uh, reliance on the sacraments, we're nervous about his arguments about uh, his sinfulness, we're nervous about this, we're nervous about that. So it isn't really until we get almost to the end of the period uh, I, I'm considering here, 1946, 1947, that we begin to have a positive uh, general response. And it's still fairly uh, superficial. I was able to discover with some help from the archivist at Wheaton College, that, that a young Wheaton College undergraduate, Elizabeth Howard, who would later become famous as Elizabeth Elliot, writing the biography of her, her, her husband and the others, mi missionaries who were killed by Bolrani, uh, 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 tribes people in Ecuador. She was writing to her father and her mother, her father was the publisher, editor of the Sunday School Times, 1944, saying, I'm reading this book by a man named C.S. Lewis called Screwtape Letters. You should read it too. And then she she would read another thing. Intervarsity, maybe with its strong connections to Britain, uh, were was in the lead for evangelicals. And his magazine, which was the monthly periodical of, of American intervarsity, had some of the earliest evangelical positive responses to C.S. Lewis. But not until 1943, 44, 45, which is several years after particularly the Catholics, had, had uh, written very learnedly and, and positively about Lewis. Yes, and I think you probably already partly answered the next question, but why was this? Why was the evangelical response to Lewis so slow and so cautious? I, th I think it reflected the fact that from the 1910s, 20s and 30s, the more self-consciously orthodox people who were called fundamentalists and then began to be called evangelicals were just nervous about anything coming from the mainstream university world that they had they viewed as captured by ungodly forces. So there, there is a kind of note of surprise. Here is an Oxford Don actually seeming to be orthodox in what, what he says. And, and, and it just took a while to, to bridge the gap that had built up between the suspicion that had built up between the, the in some ways, strong worlds of, of, of uh, theologically conservative Protestants and what was coming from the universities. Now, there is one um, exception to uh, uh, light and frivolous and, and kind of unserious treatment of Lewis by the evangelical world, and that is the conservative Presbyterians associated with Westminster Seminary in Philadelphia. Their journal, the Westminster Theological Review, had several lengthy articles, reviews of Lewis not right away, but, but pretty early on. And they're really quite interesting because they're usually written, most of them are written by people who are quite excited this, to have uh, this kind of lively, creative, literarily informed Christian voices coming. But 
they objected to the very thing that made Lewis so attractive to the Catholics. Their approach to uh, Christian apologetics, known as presuppositionalism, thought, considered, that uh, everything that a person does toward, with respect to God, problem of sin, future in the world, needed to be done from the standpoint of accepting the Christian faith. Otherwise, it was bound and determined to be erroneous. So what the Catholics appreciated, Luther's emphasis on a universal, intuitive understanding of the difference between right and wrong, seemed to these conservative Presbyterians leading to a kind of deism in which the Bible and the immediate saving work of Christ was, was just not present. So the, reading these lengthy, in some ways, the best reviews from the conservative Protestant world, they're re really interesting because the, the authors are, know they like C.S. Lewis. <laughs> they love the way he, but they but they realize also that their theology is telling them, well, there's something wrong here. We, we, we've, got, we've got to point it out. A little bit later, and actually after the period of time covered in my book, there, there's a kind, there's exchanges between evangelical Protestants who are becoming excited about Lewis, and then people maintaining this conservative Presbyterian, conservative reform position, and, and that's actually very interesting. But but a kind of exchange that comes that comes later than the period covered in the book. Yes, I was going to ask you at what point evangelicals in the states did come to appreciate and love Lewis and accept him. Well, it is it begins. Uh, really, uh, in the late 1940s and then into the, the 1950s, I draw attention into the book to, to significant work done by the Episcopalian literary teacher, but also, I believe, eventually an Episcopalian uh, minister, priest, Chad Walsh, who is a professor at Beloit College in Wisconsin. He writes the first uh, fuller account of Lewis, actually for a, for a general circulation publication, The Atlantic, in 1946. And then I think it's by 48 or 49, he publishes a book called Apostle, Lewis, Apostle to the Skeptics. He's read with appreciation by people in the evangelical and uh, conservative Protestant world. Uh, the founder of the Wade Center at Wheaton College, who was a sponsor of these lectures that I gave, Clyde Kilby, in the early 1950s, became very enthusiastic for, for Lewis and began to promote him uh, quite quite uh, eagerly. I do think a lot of, of the uh, overwhelming popularity of Lewis in the broader evangelical world comes with the success of the Narnia books, the first one published, what, 1950 or 1951. And so the, the, uh, the skill of the, of the uh, treatments of Christian matters in story form is so so effective and so convincing that whatever uh, reservations uh, evangelicals and Protestants had, and, and some of them actually went to lifestyle. I remember one one famous conservative American Protestant visited Lewis. This would be in the 1950s. He came back home and said, "Well, you know, that man smokes, that man drinks. <laughs> he, did. he did, but I do believe he is a Christian." So it took oh. a while. It took a while to, to, for. I was taught medieval literature at University of New Zealand by a man, a wonderful man, who had been a student of Lewis and Tolkien mm -hmm. at Oxford in the just after the war, and he had letters from Tolkien. He'd known he'd known Tolkien very well. Mm -hmm. he, Tolkien had written to him, and uh, he he. I asked him about Lewis. He said he was a tough, tough character, and uh, his overriding memory of Lewis is uh, sitting as a young student reading his essays to Professor Lewis, and Lewis would sit at his desk 
with a huge uh, letter opener and slit his letters open as the students read their essays. So all the poor student heard it when they were reading their essays was. Oh, oh, but he said he was one he was pretty rough he was a pretty tough customer anyway final final question mark thinking about lewis how do we communicate the truths of christianity in today's world what what can lewis teach us about about how we can do that well there's certainly many things positive to be learned Uh, one of them though i think is that uh, trying to imitate lewis directly is probably not the way to go he himself, he himself was influenced by many uh, previous uh, Christian and, and non-Christian authors, but internalized those influences and uh, brought forth out of his own life experiences what was a convincing uh, statement for Christian faith. But certainly the combination that, that so many people appreciated so early on, once the popular works began to be uh, spread, would, would work today. Uh, you, uh, a, a Christian spokesperson should be well well uh, grounded, to have learning, focusing upon the core of the Christian faith is, I think, always for, for the public, uh, much more advantageous than trying to present a Presbyterian or a Catholic or an, or an Anglican uh, view of the Christian faith. And then something that really can't be taught but uh, can be appreciated is, is the creativity with which, which Luther works. And then I think finally, but not, uh, not uh, unimportantly, Lewis's own humility and his own sense of his own fallibility. I end the book with uh, Lewis's letter to a, 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 an Anglican sister that I, with a poem that actually uh, would later publish as, as a separate poem, talking about the apologist's danger of thinking so highly of his work for the Lord that he, that he doesn't realize how thinking highly of your work for the Lord is exactly opposite of what a Christian should feel and, and saying anything on behalf of the one who, who redeemed him or, him or her. So that combination, learning, focus upon the main Christian teachings, creativity, and then humility won't produce new C.S. Lewis's, but may produce people who are able to say a telling word for the Christian gospel in the circumstances of our own time. Yes. Gosh, thank you, Mark Knoll. The the book from IVP in the States is called C.S. Lewis in America, Reading and Reception, 1935 to 1947. And the book also has contributions, very good ones too, by Karen J. Johnson, Kirk Farney and Amy Black. Thank you, Mark. And thanks to our creative team at Liquid Edge who sponsor this podcast and to take care of things behind the scenes. Mark Knoll, thank you, sir, so much for your time. Thank you. It's been my privilege. We really hope you've enjoyed this episode of the God Story Podcast. If you want to help us make more great episodes like this one, you can head over to our Patreon page and become a God Story Podcast supporter. You'll receive our undying gratitude, plus a few bonus goodies for your ongoing support. Just visit patreon.com slash godstorypodcast. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash godstorypodcast. As always, you can get in touch with us via our website, godstorypodcast.com.